Welcome to Mosaic Church, and thank you for joining us here online. To prepare for today's message, we encourage you to utilize the Mosaic Cincinnati app. There, you can view the message notes, put in prayer requests, and so much more. Enjoy the message. But we are going to be in Psalm 63 this morning, and we're just going to start by reading the first verse of Psalm 63. That's all we're going to do for now. Psalm 63, verse 1. O God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. And so for those of you that maybe don't know the psalm, maybe you've never even heard of Psalm 63 before, Psalm 63 was written by King David. David was one of the most famous kings in Israel's history and one of the most profound people that we find in the Bible. And the context of this chapter, this song that David writes to God, is that this song was written in a time of extreme darkness for David. Now, scholars say that David was actually on the run. He was on the run either, scholars aren't sure of this particular time that he was on the run. But we know two things. David was either on the run from King Saul or from Absalom. He was running from people, people that were out for his life, people that were wanting to kill him and destroy him. And so he's writing this psalm, this song, in the wilderness where there's just desert, no water, no food, nothing to sustain him. But David starts this psalm acknowledging God, right? Those are the first words there. Oh God, you are my God. That is how David starts out, crying out to God. In a place where he has nothing, the first thing he says is, God, you are my God, right? In church, these are not just meaningless words. They're not just words that David just wanted to speak. They were significant. I love this quote from George Kinder. He says, the simplicity and boldness of thou art my God is the secret of all that follows afterwards in Psalm 63. Since this relationship is the heart of the covenant from the patriarchs of the present day. And so what Kinder's trying to say is that what David says in Psalm 63, how he starts by saying, oh God, you are my God, is that he's creating a covenant. He's saying, God, I'm yours and you're mine. Even in the midst of nothing, even when I might die, you are my God. And so maybe the question for us this morning is why would David start a song of desperation with that? Church, I think the answer is that David was yearning for God. He was yearning for God. Maybe there's a lot of you, maybe the younger kids are like, what the heck is yearning? What is that word? Never heard that before. Yearning is a feeling of intense longing for something. Yearning is a feeling of intense longing for something. And we see that. I mean, we see that in the first verse. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you. These are the words of David. He's yearning for God. And so the question I have for us today, and this is what we're going to talk about today, yearning. When was the last time we were yearning for God? When was the last time we were saying stuff like this? 
God, you are my God. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you. When was the last time we longed for God like this? And maybe, you've, maybe you're hearing this word yearning and you're like, man, I, I just don't resonate with this word. It doesn't really make sense to me. Yearning actually comes from the old German word, gyrnin. Can everyone say gyrnin? Gyrnin. I think it's a fun word. Um, but gyrnin means to be eager. So maybe yearning doesn't really resonate with you this morning, but maybe eager does. And so maybe the question is, when was the last time you were eager for God? The last time you longed for God to do something in your life? Not just because it was the right thing and not just because, you know, church is good for your kids and it's a good environment. And not just because you know you should pray or you know you should read your Bible, but when was the last time you actually were eager for God? When was, the, when was the last time we were actually eager for God? So that's what we're going to talk about today. Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8. We're going to talk about the importance of being eager for God. And so real quick, before we even dive into any more, I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. All right? God, we thank you that your word is true. And Lord God, man, it is also very convicting. But it brings truth. That's the most important part. And so, Lord, I pray that these words that we read in Psalm 63 would change us. Or, God, maybe we've come into today not being eager for you. Maybe we've had no desire for you. But, man, we're going to read in your word why being yearning for you is so important. And, God, how you even yearn for us. And so, Lord, I pray that your word would speak to us and change us. In your name we pray. Amen. So, yeah. When was the last time we were eager for God? That's the question today. And the reason why I ask this question is because we know one thing of God, is that he moves when his people are yearning for him. God moves when we are yearning for him. And we see this from Genesis to Revelation. This is a truth that can be found all throughout scripture, is that when we yearn for God, he moves in our lives and through our lives. Exodus 2, 23 through 25, the children of Israel crying out to God. They're in captivity, slavery to Egypt, and they're saying, God, deliver us. Please help us. And Exodus 2, verses 23 through 25, it says that God hears their cry, he hears their yearning, and his heart is moved to act. And so he calls Moses to then go out and deliver his people. 1 Samuel 1 is another example where we see Hannah, an awesome woman of God, who is crying out, yearning for God, because the only thing in life that she wants is a child, and she's been yet to have one, and and maybe, you know, in her mind, she's thinking, what is wrong with me? Why can I not do the simplest thing that I feel like I can do? And so she's crying out to God. She's saying, God, help me have a child. Help me. And God hears her and brings Samuel, who becomes the first prophet of Israel and leads and guides Israel through so much heartache, but but leads them closer to God. In Acts 2, in the New Testament, not just the Old Testament, but the New Testament, we see the same thing. That God's people are crying out for his spirit. They're yearning for more of God's power so that they can go and share the gospel. And God hears them, pours out his spirit, and the gospel scatters throughout the world. And now you and I are a product of that. The reality is that God moves when his people are yearning for him. 
And I would argue that, man, this is one of the main ways that God moves is that when we yearn for him, when we are desperate, when we are crying out for him, when we are, are, are eager for him, it's one of the main ways that he moves in our lives. Second Chronicles chapter seven, verses 14 through 15. Say then, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, what does that sound like to you? That sounds like eagerness. That sounds like yearning to me, right? I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. (laughs) Man, I could probably stop there and we could all go home, right? (laughs) That if we are eager for God, he's going to not only hear us, but forgive us restore us. He's going to open his eyes and his ears and be attentive to what we say. Can you believe that? That the God of the universe, if only we were eager, would do that. So church, we got to start yearning. We got to start getting eager for God, you and I. And maybe today you're wondering why. What's the reason for yearning? Why do I need to be eager for God? See, church, I believe that we need the movement of God in us and through us. That's the reason why. We need God to move in our lives, but also through our lives. Because the reality is this, and you you and I all know this. We're broken, and our world is broken, right? And so when God moves in us and through us, he begins to make things whole. He brings things to the place that they need to be. And so if you need a reason why, man, look at yourself. Look at me. I'm broken. I'm in need of a savior. And look at the world around us. So broken. Because we people are broken. We have flaws. We are imperfect. We have holes in our lives. Maybe we have baggage, heartache, emptiness that we need filled. Sin that actually separates us not only from God but maybe each other. Anger, bitterness, lack of self-control, malice. So many different things that are are just not good for us that only he can satisfy. And man, how many of us like living broken? I don't see a single hand raised. None of us like living broken, right? Nobody does. And in the midst of our brokenness, really what's happening in our hearts is that, man, we are crying out for something better. You know, I'm reminded of the story of the woman at the well in John 4. And maybe you don't know the story, but there's a story in John 4 about a woman. And she's going to the well to get water. And how many of you know we all need water? especially back in that time where water was the main source of so many different things. They used water to cook. They used water to rehydrate and, you know, all that. They used water to clean themselves. And all the water that they got came from this well. So they would have to go to the well time and time again to get water, time and time again. So this woman comes to the well, but Jesus is there this time. And Jesus says this to her. He says, anyone who drinks this water will soon be thirsty again. 
but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And so her reply is this, please, sir, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. You see, the woman realized that, man, there is something inside of me that cannot be satisfied by normal water. And so whatever this guy has that's saying that it will become a bubbling spring within me that will give me eternal life, that's what I need. And our heart's response is in this, in this scripture that we just read. Please, sir, give me this water. She's yearning. She's eager, right? She's like, man, give me what will satisfy me. And so this is what yearning looks like. We yearn for God to move in our lives and fix what is broken, make us whole. So that we don't have to be broken anymore. We need to yearn for God to move in us so that we can be made whole. But the reality is, is that it's not just for us, it's for everyone, right? God isn't just here to move in your life, he's here to move in every single person that you influence. Even people that you don't influence, he's ready to do that. And so we need God not, to not only move in us, but also through us. Because not only are we broken, but our world is broken, right? And man, I don't really have to go into depth with you guys about how broken our world is. We all see it, we all know it, right? But I, I have some things that I, I was studying this week and it, it really popped in my, you know, it, it really popped out to me how broken our world is. Did you know that over 50% of marriages in the US, or almost 50, I think it's about 48, 48% of marriages in the US end in divorce. Can you believe that? 40 million adults in the US suffer from depression, anxiety. 40 million. 700 million people globally are below the poverty line. And those are just some statistics. They're not even a lot. But I remember reading these statistics this week and being like, holy cow. Our world is broken. And maybe you're like me and sometimes you forget how broken our world is. And so with that, we've been called by God to be used by him to make the world better. Matthew 5 says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. This is Jesus talking to us. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And so we don't just need God to move in our lives, but through it. So that this world will know that he's come to make them whole too. The same way that he's made us whole. And maybe you've come in here today and you feel that brokenness inside of you. You're like, man... There is something inside of me that is just not being satisfied. 
And man, I'm so grateful that you're here. And this word is for you. That there's a light. His name is Jesus. And he came to give you eternal life. He came to fill that hole inside of you that nothing else will. But church, for those of you that are believers, it's our job to be used by God to show that light. People in your world need it. 40 million adults who suffer depression and anxiety need it. Students, people at your school this upcoming week that are walking alone and have nobody need it. They need your light. It's for them too. And so there needs to be an even greater eagerness for God to move in our world. And I love this song that we sang at the end, Deep Dive. Because maybe it starts by saying, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Show me how you see the brokenness in my world and how I can be used to meet the needs around me. We need to be eager for God to move in us and through us. But church, let me confess, I'm probably like a lot of you, and my eagerness for God is gone in a lot of ways. Maybe you, you know, you're like me and you're just going through the motions of life. And your eagerness, your, your desire for God is just not there like it used to be or, or maybe it never has. You know, it, it could be due to so many different things, but the reality is this. And this is what God's showing me through his word in Psalm 63, is how we need to be eager for him because we need him. That's the point that I was brought to this week is that, man, I need God. My life looks like nothing without him. I see the brokenness in me and I see the brokenness in my world. And the only thing that can fix it is him. And so I need him. I need to be eager because I need him. And so this is a reminder for all of us. Together, maybe what we need to do today is to check ourselves and say, God, show me my need for you. Show me what areas in my life or maybe you're not in that I need to allow you to be in. Show me where my hunger for you needs to be. But man, maybe the question today is how do we actually yearn for God practically? How do we do that? I think Psalm 63 is a very good guide for yearning and being eager for God. Famous theologian Charles Spurgeon said um, of John Chrysostom, can't even say this name really, John Chrysostom, who was an early church bishop in Constantinople around AD 386, one of the early churches, one of the first churches that really started. Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, Chrysostom tells us that among the primitive Christians, it was decreed and ordained that no day should pass without the public singing of this psalm. Psalm 63. And there's a reason why. The reason is because Chrysostom desired in his people that their attention would be on being eager. So every day, he would remind them and say, hey, be eager for God. Sing this song. 
sing this song, repeat it over and over again. Remind yourself of why you need to be eager for him. And so that's where we're going to start today, Psalm 63. Because I think it gives a really good outline for how we can yearn for God. And truly, I believe this, that anyone can be eager for God. At any point in your walk, it's not just for the Christian, it's even for maybe you that, that's here today and, or online, and you're like, man, I don't really have a relationship with God. But I think that being eager is for any point in the journey. Maybe you are a non-believer, and maybe you don't identify as a Christian today. I think maybe what eager, being eager for God or yearning for God may look like for you is just to experience him. Maybe it's just saying, God, I, I want to I experience you. I want to I have a, re, a real moment with you like, like Paul had in Acts, where God moves in his life in a way that cannot be explained, right? That's com- what completely changed his life. So maybe that's for you today. And maybe for the new believer, maybe you have experienced God and you've said, man, I, I've felt God's love. I've, I've felt him move in my life. Maybe the eagerness for you today is, man, I need to know him now. Can't just experience him, but I got to know who he is. And then for us that would say, man, we've been following God for a long time and, and we're maturing in our faith. Maybe it's moving from knowing him to being used by him. And saying, God, I, I, I've experienced you. I know you. I've read scripture. I know all that. Now it's time to use me. Now it's time to maybe take me out of my comfort zone, out of my bubble, and let me be used by you to affect the world around me. In Psalm 63, I think, outlines really clearly how we can be eager for God in four ways, to seek him, to praise him, to meditate and to cling. So the first step in, in yearning and being eager for God is to seek him. And these are, this is outlined in verses one through two in Psalm 63. We've already read verse one. Oh my God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. But David continues and he says, I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. So David starts a verse and he's like, man, I'm seeking after God. I earnestly am searching for him. And what he realizes is that, man, I've actually sought him and found him. Right? I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Because church, yearning starts with seeking because seeking gives sight. If you want to get eager for God, you have to know him first. And in order to know him, you have to seek after him. You have to seek him out. And the thing I love most about God is that in our seeking, He's gracious enough to reveal himself. That's what David's saying in verse two. That man, I'm seeking after you, but I know to be true that you reveal yourself to me because I've seen it. I've seen your power and your glory. I've seen you move in my life before. 
I know that when I seek, you will reveal yourself. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 8 say, Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. That's the truth. Is that when we see God will reveal himself to us, his purpose, his plan, his will for our lives. So we don't have to fret that we're seeking aimlessly. When we seek, we'll find him. He'll reveal himself to us. So maybe you're asking, what what does seeking practically look like for me? How do I seek in my life? And here's some tips that I've found to be true. Maybe for you, seeking is just reading God's word, trying to figure out his character, his values, his beliefs. Because it's through reading his word that we know him. We know what he cares about. We know his heart. So maybe for you this week, it's, it's reading his word and trying to figure that out. Maybe it's just talking to God, right? Who better to ask than him? Seek him out in prayer. Have a conversation with God. Allow him to speak to you. Not just speaking to him, but man, what I've learned about prayer is that it's a two-way street. I, I have an awesome opportunity to share my heart with him, but he wants to do the same for me. So maybe that's what that looks like for you. Maybe it's seeking God in community with other believers, people who have experienced God and can give testimony to what he's done. And maybe that gives you the sight that you need. What I've been finding super helpful recently is listening to Christian podcasts and and listening to, or reading Christian books. Learned a lot from different theologians, a lot from awesome pastors that have maybe taught me things that I did not know before. And that has been my form of seeking recently. But church, the first step in getting eager for God is to seek after him. It's to say, man, I'm going to find him wherever he's at, knowing that he will reveal himself to us. The second step after we seek is to then praise. Psalm 63, three through five. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. So first we seek God. But what we also know to be true is that proper yearning requires proper worship. God deserves to be praised in your yearning, in your eagerness for him. Because if we're actually going to go after him, if we're actually going to say, man, I really want to know God, I, I, you know, if we want to pray the way, that, the way that David prayed and said, God, you are my God, right? Because when we say something's our God, man, that's putting it at the highest pedestal of anything, right? To claim something to be God is, is at, at a point that nothing else can reach. And so if we say that about him, then, man, he desires and requires from us to be worshiped that way. Psalm 34, verse one. I will praise the Lord at all times. 
I will constantly speak his praises. Because the reality is this. God, in our seeking, will reveal himself. And when he does, he'll reveal himself in a way that will completely change you. Honestly, it's hard to experience God and to not give him praise. It's hard to be changed by him and not magnify his name. Trust me. I've seen God move in my life in so many different ways. I've seen God provide for me when I was broke and had no money. I've seen God provide for me in relationship and friendship. I've seen God provide in my darkest moments where, man, I, you know, life was at its, at its down, you know, the worst possible place. And God met me. And the only response that my heart had was to praise him and say, man, God, you proved yourself today. You showed yourself. You revealed yourself. And you deserve praise. And so, church, when we seek We'll find him. But after we seek, if we continue to be eager for him, what we, ne- what we next need to do is to give him the praise that he deserves. And so practically, maybe what that looks like for us is coming into a worship service on Sunday or whenever and preparing our hearts and saying, God, as I step into this room, as I step into this time, I'm giving you praise. That's my purpose, is to give you praise. Maybe you're like me and and you often forget things very quickly. Um, My wife reminds me of this all the time because I forget a lot of things um, that I should. And maybe for you, it's, it's maybe setting a reminder, maybe on your phone and say, man, every hour, every four hours, I'm gonna set a timer. And when that timer goes off, I'm going to take some intentional time from whatever I'm doing and just give God praise and be thankful. And I know that sounds like, it maybe sounds weird to you or it maybe sounds stupid, but maybe we need sort of that practicality in our life to make the important things important. That God deserves to be praised and so why not make it a part of my schedule? Maybe it's talking to your kids not just at Thanksgiving, but at, at all times and, and saying, hey, let's be reminded of why we're actually thankful. What is God doing in our, in our family, in our lives? And maybe let's take some time and be thankful together. I know that that's something I need to do. Is, man, I, I need to take some intentional time. Not, not, not just when it's convenient, but every day to remind myself that, man, God is good and I need to give him the praise that he deserves. And this is the last tip I have for you guys that I've found super helpful, and maybe this is the most challenging for a lot of us. Maybe it's being expressive in our worship. You know, something that I've learned about worship is that my body responds to my spirit. And so, man, if, if my spirit is yearning for God, if it's eager for God, my body's gonna respond. And maybe you're like me, and and sometimes you get uncomfortable, maybe raising your hands or clapping or or doing whatever. But maybe that's where you need to start getting eager. Maybe that's where I need to start getting eager, is allowing my body to follow my spirit in worship and saying, God, man, 
I don't care what I look like. You deserve praise. And so I lift my hands praising you because you are worthy of it. Maybe that's what we need to do today. Maybe that's our first step in praising him. So first we seek and then we praise. And then the next step in yearning is meditating. Psalm 63 verse 6 says, I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. You see, what we know to be true about yearning is that yearning cannot be something we do one moment and then forget the next. That honestly negates the whole essence of yearning. Because yearning, again, is a feeling of intense longing for something. And so something you long for is not something you forget moment by moment. And so sometimes we just need to stay in the moment, right? And sit in our eagerness for God. Not leaving prematurely, but, but taking time to, to meditate and stay where we're at. And so maybe what that practically looks like for us is having a daily time to convene with God. A daily quiet time where we read scripture and we pray and meditate. Maybe what God's teaching us through his word. Maybe, maybe the things that we're experiencing in life that we need God to move in. Maybe it's giving ourselves, you know, a decent amount of time in the morning and saying, hey, God, for the first hour of my day, I'm going to dedicate that time to you. I'm not going to allow work or anything to distract me, but I'm going to set that time aside for you and meditate on what you're doing in my life and what you want to do through my life. You know, I was taught this concept in college because before college, I had no concept of what it looked like to spend time with God, to be honest with you. And I grew up in church. I knew that it was good to pray. I knew that it was good to read my Bible. But man, I, I didn't know what that looked like day to day. You know, I would periodically pick up the Bible and read it whenever I could. But I knew that, man, I wasn't really growing in my faith. I really wasn't growing in a relationship with God. And, and now looking back, I wasn't really eager for God either. So I remember a small group leader in college, my freshman year, was like, hey, do you, do you have a daily quiet time with God? I was like, dude, what is that? What is a daily quiet time? And he was like, man, do you have time that you set aside each day to spend time with God? I was like, no, I don't. And I definitely don't have the time to do that. I'm in school, I have classes, I work, I, you know, I wanna hang out with my friends. Like, what time do I have to spend with God? And I remember he said something very convicting that day. And he said, dude, you'll make time for the things that are important. And that's something that's rang in my ear for years, even today, is that I'm gonna make time for what's important. And so if I'm really eager for God, if I really desire him, if I really want to grow in my relationship with him, I'm never gonna sacrifice that hour. And church, can I be honest with you? I've sacrificed many hours to God, unfortunately. There's been days where I've gone without daily conversation and daily time with him. And what I've learned of that is that, man, in those moments, my relationship with him seems to just get distant. The holes in my life start to seem bigger. 
The, the situations and circumstances that I'm in seem larger than life sometimes because I'm not in time with him. I'm not convening with him. I'm not allowing him to move in me and through me. And so maybe for us, meditating is saying, hey, I'm gonna dedicate an hour or however long, 30 minutes. It doesn't have to be an hour. For me, it's an hour. And saying, man, this time, like anything in my life, is scheduled out. Nothing else is going to come between it. So we meditate. And the last thing we do is cling. Psalm 63, verse 8. David says, I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. In the same way that when we are eager for something, we don't forget it moment by moment. When we're eager for something and we actually receive it, it's not easily taken away. I played soccer all my life from the time I was five to the end of high school. And soccer was a big part of my life. But I remember a specific story um, in sixth grade um, my parents really couldn't really afford to give me cleats all the time, and so um, I would either wear cleats for several years, which was terrible on my feet, um, or I would buy some baseball cleats, and the rec league would allow us to cut off the front, um, front like tip or the front uh, cleat so that I wouldn't hurt anybody when I went in to tackle. Um, so my parents would either buy me these super cheap baseball cleats or I'd just bum out these cleats that I've had for years. But I remember in sixth grade, I begged my parents. I was like, please, all I want for my birthday, Christmas, I don't care. I just want new cleats for soccer. That's all I want. And so I remember the first day of the season, my parents surprised me with these awesome Adidas Add a Zero cleats. Silver and red, I could still remember what they looked like because, man, I was so eager. I wanted these things so bad. I just, I just wanted something new, you know, to run around in. And, man, these cleats were nice. They were top-notch. They were awesome. But I remember a couple weeks going to, you know, a couple weeks into the season, and we were in a co-ed league, and so the girls would play with us too. And there was this girl on my team with the same cleats. I was like, man, I mean, you know, like, I guess cleats are, you know, anyone can wear cleats, it, it doesn't really matter. But I got really suspicious after a while. I was like, man, I don't know, these cleats. So I remember one day after practice, I, I sat down, took off my cleats, put on my slides, and I looked, because I was like, man, let's just make sure. And I look in my cleats, and sure enough, they were women's cleats. <laughs> that my parents had bought me. They were women's cleats that they had bought me. But church, let me tell you something. No one was taking those cleats away from me. I wanted cleats so bad, I didn't care what type of cleats they were, I was gonna wear them. Because I was eager. I wanted some new cleats to wear. And they were nice, I'm not gonna lie to you. They make some good women's cleats, apparently. But man, I was eager, so no one was going to take that away from me. And so, church, if you're holding on to God, if you're eager for God, if you're seeking after him, no one's going to be able to take that from you. No one. Because your heart will be so set on that thing. 
<laughs> you'll have a, a, a chokehold on it. Same way I had on those cleats. No one will be able to take that from you. So don't let go of your pursuit. Even, man, maybe you're like me and you get tired of pursuing. Maybe you're like, God, man, I've been seeking and seeking and seeking and I want something new. And man, it seems so mundane. It seems so ordinary. I'm getting tired of seeking. But church, let me encourage you. And I'm encouraging myself. Let's hold on. Let's cling. Let's cling to him. Don't let go of him because he's holding on to you. So practically, maybe what that looks like for us is continuing to press in every Sunday. I know that every Sunday, man, it seems like maybe we do the same thing and we don't really switch it up much. But hey, if we come eager, if we say, man, God is all that I need and I'm ready for him to move today and now. And I know that's a hard concept to continue to have, you know, it's a hard mindset to have all the time. But if we allow that to be what we, what we have, right? Every week when we come in here, God's going to meet us. He's proven that time and time again. All throughout scripture and even in our own lives that, man, when we are eager for him, he will move. So look for God to do something new in your life each and every week. Each and every day, he's the God of new things. The old has passed away here. I'm ready to do a new thing. Can you not see it? Man, that's what scripture says. I am doing a new thing. He's a God of new things and he wants to do something new. So keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Maybe the way that you cling is maybe, hey, maybe you're here and you have questions by your faith. Maybe you have questions about who God is. Maybe your form of clinging is bringing those to him day by day and saying, God, reveal yourself to me. So as we close, how many of you were at Consumed this Wednesday? Some of you, man, it was an awesome time of worship, of prayer. God really met us here. But one of the big things that I got out of Consumed was Pastor Joe came up and he shared what was on his heart recently. And and he shared with us as the church that he's ready to, he really feels like God is ready to do something new here at Mosaic. And I don't know about you guys, but man, my heart just leapt at that. That God is ready to do something new in us and through us as a body. But something that Joe said towards the end that really kind of caught my attention and something I've been really thinking about is that God's ready to do a new thing but are we prepared for it? Are we prepared for whatever he has for us or, or are we prepared for whatever he wants to do through us? Again, there is nothing that causes God move, to move more than our yearning for him, our eagerness for him. Because if we're yearning, he'll come. We know that, we've seen that in scripture today. But also if we're yearning for him, we're prepared for what he has. In church, I don't know about you, but I don't want God to move and for me to miss it. I don't want him to move in a moment and me not be prepared. I don't want him to say, Sobe, I want to use you, but I've been so distant and so far and so not eager that I'm not even in the frame, I'm not even in the proximity to hear that. 
don't want that. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for us. God is ready to move. That's the word we received. I'm so grateful that we have a pastor that hears from the Lord. But church, I want to be prepared. So my encouragement to us is that in order to prepare ourselves, let's get eager. Let's get hungry. Let's allow, let's, man, let's allow our spirit or our our flesh to follow our spirit and say, God, whatever you're willing and ready to do, we're going to be prepared because we're eager for you to move in us and through us. So church, go ahead, bow your heads, close your eyes this morning. We're going to take some time to reflect on this word because it's so important. Again, I've been finding myself in a lot of different areas not being eager for God. And maybe you find yourself there too. Where again, you're, you're maybe just going through the motions. You're doing the church thing, but, but relationship with God, what that, the, the reality of it is just not there. There's no eagerness or anticipation for him. Truly, I believe that God is wanting to start that in us today. And really, all we have to do is respond and say, man, let's get eager. Let's get hungry. God, I'm ready for you to move. And so, man, maybe you're here today and you've never been eager for God. You're like, man, I, Pastor Sobe, I have had no desire for him ever. I just want to tell you, God is eager for you. You may not be eager for him, but he desires you. He loves you. It says in John 3 that he sent his son to die for you so that you could have eternal life and live it with him. So maybe you're here today and you're like, man, hearing that and knowing that God wants to move in my life and through my life, I want to respond and say, man, God, move through me, move in me. I want to start a relationship with him. If that's you today, simply all I'm going to ask you to do is where you're at, just to raise your hand. I just want to pray for you right where you're at. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. Church, that's so cool. People are here that have maybe never been eager for God before and now desire him. It says in scripture that heaven is roaring. There's a party because of the decision you've made. So here, for those of you that raise your hand, I'm going to pray for you. God, I thank you so much for these individuals that have responded and said, man, I didn't know that there was a God eager for me that would die for me, that loved me so much to cross the divide and have a relationship with me. God, I I thank you so much for these individuals and I pray that you would pour out your love upon them right here and right now. God, may they know 
that even though we fall short, Lord God, it says in Romans 3 that we sin. We do things that separate us actually from you. But God, in your, in your grace and in your mercy and in your love for us, you set us free from sin and death. You conquered the grave. And now we have eternal life through you. And so God, I pray that these individuals would, would hear these words and know that to be the reality today that they can start relationship with you today. That the, de- the old is gone, it's dead. And there's new life today for them. So God, fill, fill their hearts with your love. May they know it to be real. Thank you so much that you extend your love and your grace towards us. To your name we pray, amen. Awesome, church, can we just clap for these people that have made that decision today? That is so awesome. Man. Now for the rest of us, before we go, maybe there's some of us here today that, man, we, we know God, we have a relationship with him, but we just have not been eager for him. We've allowed our relationship to get stale. Man, we haven't, we haven't seen God move in our lives or through our lives. And truly today, God is wanting to move in you and through you. Our only response is to get eager and to say, God, use me. And so we seek and we praise and we meditate and we cling to him. And so if that's you, I'm just gonna pray for you, pray a prayer of blessing, that as you are, get eager for God, as you yearn for him, that man, he would start to do things in your life that you would have never imagined. That he would start to use you in ways that you never thought he would that you would be light in a very dark world and that people will come to know him because of you and what he's doing in your life. So God, I thank you for this body. I thank you for your people. And God, I'm so grateful that when we get eager for you, you move in us and through us. And so God, I pray for the hearts out there tonight, or today, this morning, that just haven't been eager for you that have allowed their relationship with you to get stale or or maybe stagnant. But today they're deciding and they're saying, man, I'm going to start getting eager for God. I'm going to start pursuing him, getting desperate for him. And I'm going to claim that, oh God, you are my God, the way that David did. God, I pray that you would move so powerfully in their life. Lord God, that you would change them from the inside out, that they would start to be light in dark places. God, that this world would look different because of how you move through your people. And so, Lord, we, get, we are eager for you. God, I, I just say that now. God, may this church get eager for you. May our body get eager for you. May we start to come on Sundays expectant for you. And God, may we go out into the world and be used by you. So, God, in our eagerness, may you meet us. Reveal yourself to us. Show your love to us so that we can show it to a broken world. God, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for today's message. We look forward to having you back next week.